Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3 d Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do. The Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure you're reading the blog, too. We have... Game coverage up all the time, usually a game preview of five questions with another SB Nation site, game threads, port cards, quick recaps, full recaps. We, we just cover every sector of the game and of this Grizzlies organization and so much fun. So make sure you're uh, looking at grizzlybearblues.com for that or following us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than Reverend Nate Jester. Nate, what's up? I'm doing good. Uh, the reason Parker's calling me a uh, reverend is because right now we're having to do this Zoom on the podcast through cell phone. And right now you can see me sitting in my church office looking all official and such. So uh, for those of you who are listening right now, I am a pastor. So you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so let's just cut to the chase. The Memphis Grizzlies are seven and six as we're recording this podcast with under a five-game winning streak, including two pretty nice wins against the Philadelphia 76ers, who they aren't the same without Joel Embiid. But, you know, you still got Ben Simmons, who's a all-NBA, all-defensive team player. Uh, they added some shooting around them with the Isaiah Joe, Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, and Danny Green. And they had to overcome a strong, uh, almost uncharacteristic Shake Milton night. And then Dwight Howard is like, a serviceable big man. He's a big body who's at least going to cause problems in the paint. And then they also beat a Phoenix Suns team who's really, they're not like the Phoenix Suns of the past five or six years. They're a really strong team under Chris Paul, Devin Booker, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and uh, Jay Crowder. Sorry, Joe, but Jay Crowder is an integral part of that Phoenix Suns team. They also do have uh, Javon Carter, who I tweeted out yesterday. He's going to take every Grizzlies game personally for the rest of his career. And his mom replied to that tweet and confirmed that he is. So, I mean, they're 7-6 and six without Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow. And for the large part of it, they haven't had John Morant. And, you know, life is good. And I think, really, it starts with uh, two guys for uh, – but we're going to start with the one who deserves a lot of credit, and it's not getting a whole lot of credit per se in Grizz Nation. But that's Taylor Jenkins and just the job that he's done, keeping the team focused and resilient, even when they've had all these obstacles hit. But never mind the injuries; they're playing in a pandemic where there's uncertainty revolving around a game until hours before the game. So, Nate, what do you think of the job that? Coach Jenkins has done thus far and getting this Grizzlies team out to a seven and six start without their two to three best players for the most part. 
I had this thought last year when the Grizzlies went on and was it their seven game winning streak uh, through the month of February and they were sitting firm in the playoff race and you're watching them play at a night by night basis and they were second in the league at assist last year and they're second in the league at assist this year. You see the ball movement, you see the spacing and you see the pace that they play with. And it occurred to me last year and that thought has only been reinforced all the more this year is Taylor Jenkins like by a comfortable margin, the best coach in franchise history. And he just hasn't quite had the top tier talent to be able to put that together in a meaningful playoff run yet, because um, granted, I think it was more symptomatic of how Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph wanted to play, but man, go back and watch the grit and grind Grizzlies. And you don't even see any semblance of this type of offense out there. Now, granted two vastly different play styles, uh, the grit and grind Grizzlies wanted to play slow, grind it out. They wanted to feed the ball into the post, but it's like night and day watching these two different eras of Grizzlies basketball. Now here in retrospect, and the NBA has gotten faster it's more pace oriented now than it was at the peak of Drick and Grind. And we understand that, but Charles Barkley has a point when he says that the Grizzlies have a Spurgeon culture now. Um, I think the most basic way you can evaluate a basketball coach or really a coach in any sport is how well does he maximize each player that he has on the roster. And this year has been a greater example of any so far that in the absence of Jaron Jackson, in the absence of Justice Winslow, can you look me in the eye and not tell me that Justice went or that uh, Taylor Jenkins has maximized every player on the roster? He has put them in the best positions to succeed, even in uh, unorthodox lineups like running out John Morant next to Tyus Jones at the end as the closing lineup against the Phoenix Suns, and it worked. Having two ball handlers in that situation worked to perfection. Um, the last play, John Morant's left-handed scoop layup, you see how Tyus Jones is bringing the ball up the court, which was irritating me because Ja was being guarded by Mikhail Bridges, a 6'8 wing, and it made more sense to me that, hey, uh, Ja is going to have to work that much harder to come back to the ball if he's being defended off the ball by a long physical wing. So he should be the one bringing the ball up the court. But regardless, Tyus is able to manipulate the defense of a side pick and roll. And then once the defense reacts to that, he swings it back over to Ja. Perfect spacing, a perfect screen set by Xavier Tillman. And Ja is able to put Aiton on his hip and to finish this magnificent, magnificent left-handed scoop layup. These are the type of plays you see almost every possession from the Grizzlies with Taylor Jenkins at the helm. And it sets him apart from everyone who's come before him. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, honestly, like offensively, he's probably the the best mastermind that we've had. I mean, granted, Dave Yeager was really good at uh, out of timeouts. And like you had said, like the grit and grind Grizzlies, they had a style that they wanted to play regardless of what, what coach they had because they wanted to play what was comfortable for them. And with this Grizzlies team, it's a young team of guys looking to prove themselves. They haven't had a way that they had succeeded in the NBA. So Coach Jenkins is allowed to implement this Spurs-esque offense, and it's working. Uh, you had mentioned unorthodox lineups, and I do want to point out that last uh, last night's game, Coach Jenkins trotted out the lineup of John Morant, Tyus Jones, Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, and Kyle Anderson. <laughs> And to steal your quote that you've used on the core four, I almost just went out into the street and ascended into the heaven. <laughs> My positionless basketball mantra came to life for this Memphis Grizzlies team. But I mean, that that's besides the point. Like you had mentioned the, uh, 
the little misdirection screen that they used with John Morant and Xavier Tillman. And it goes with the embodiment that Coach Jenkins wants for the system. And that's to have five playmakers on the floor at all times. That play is not possible without a strong playmaker like Tyus Jones with him. And I'd even tweeted out that that's the kind of thing that you that makes Justice Winslow so valuable is you get those spots where you can get John Morant off the ball and he just explodes into the he gets to catch the ball with momentum and get a defender on his hip and score the layup. But and also too, I with five playmakers, I mean you have even Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman getting multiple assists a game. And whether it's just like a nice little dribble handoff into a mid-range floater or jumper, or like what we saw yesterday with Brandon Clark throwing Xavier Tillman an alley oop. Again, I almost ascended to the heavens there. <laughs> but I know a point that you would you're would like to elaborate on, and it's their defense. Right now they're fourth per per cleaning the glass, they're fourth and points per 100 possessions defensively at 106.4 points per 100 possessions. But they're also third in the league in turnover percentage, which is the amount of um, the percentage of the opponent's uh, possessions that end in a turnover. It's at 16.8. If you want context... That's absurd, yeah. The 14-15 Grizzlies that made it uh, to the second round against the Warriors. Theirs was 16.4. The peak of grit and grind was around like eight. The peak of grit and grind was 18.7. And the Western Conference Finals team was 17.4. So you're coupling a Spurs-esque offense that can whip the ball around, make plays off the dribble and drive and kick, make three-pointers with a – borderline great a modernization of a grit and grind defense and they, they that's not possible without taylor yeah. jenkins and the no, players it, that coach climate yeah. or king climbing's brought in and, and it isn't and, and you know he's talked a lot about how much they've focused on defense and training camp coming into this season and also in training camp leading up to the orlando bubble the results are paying dividends now they are on pace right now to have one of the best defenses in franchise history which like we've talked about if you paid any attention to the grit and grind grizzlies that's no small feat in and of itself now here's where it gets spicy and i talked about it yesterday on twitter that i have one of the spiciest takes in my article that comes out today actually the Grizzlies are going to make the playoffs barring significant injury and I don't really think that's a very risky or bold claim which if I said that a week ago I would have thought what in the world happened in a week did we trade for Bradley Beal or Zach Levine like what what happened to give me this absolute confidence that this is going to happen but it's simple it's simple math simple statistics there has not been a single team in recent NBA history that finished with the 10th or better defensive efficiency that didn't go on to make the playoffs. So in recent NBA history, if you had the 10th or better are the 10th best or better defense in the NBA based off defensive efficiency, you make the playoffs. The Grizzlies right now are sitting currently at third in defensive efficiency, which that number may trend back and forth a little bit, depending on how much of a hot shooting night the opponent has, but that's very sustainable. Um, the Grizzlies are averaging 10.4 steals per game, 
which not a single team in the last 15 years of the NBA has averaged that many steals. That's probably not sustainable. That number will probably start to come down a little bit, but the ways that they are getting stops is very sustainable. Their rotations are crisp. They're closing out on shooters. They have the ninth best three-point defense in the NBA. They're holding their opponents to 35% shooting from three. Um, You've got good rim protectors. Jonas Valanciunas may struggle in space, but he and Xavier Tillman have both done a phenomenal job, and they're both in the top 10 and uh, field goal percentage at the rim. They This is very sustainable, especially when you add two above-average defenders like Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. back into the lineup. And if they continue to defend at a similar level to what they've been doing, and there's no reason to believe that they won't, they are – if history is any indication going to make the playoffs at season's end. Mm -hmm. So can can I tell you the the Twitter poll I was going to do, but I ultimately decided against it because I didn't know how it was going to get received because of wording. Sure. What? What's more likely to happen in the next four years? Jaw winning MVP, Taylor Jenkins winning coach of the year, or a player not named John Moran or Jaron Jackson Jr. winning some, some kind of award. So, like, just all-star appearance, defensive player of the year, something like that. For that that third option, yeah. Oh. You see, number one and number two almost go together because it's not not necessary for John Moran to win MVP, for Taylor Jenkins to win Coach of the Year. But typically, if you win Coach of the Year, your team won somewhere between 60 and 70 games. It was either, at the very least, the top two seeds in your conference. More often than not, the very best team in the league. And in order for that to happen... John Moran has to become everything that we believe he is and more in order for the Grizzlies to win 60-plus games and to ascend to the top of the West. So at the very least, I think Ja would have to be in the conversation for MVP, for Taylor Jenkins to be in position to win that award. Um, I think last year was a good indication that just overachieving in and of it, in and of itself is not enough to get you truly in that conversation. You might be on the outskirts of it, but you know, winning 45 games when you're expected to win 30, this is not enough. It just isn't. This is not the way that award works. And so I would probably go with I'm gonna go third. I'm gonna go third. third. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I will. I will throw this out there first. Let's throw out all rookie. Like, okay, sure. Don't put in yeah. all rookie. Like, I feel like that's like. I mean, given the Grizzlies' track record, they've had what three, three, uh, three all rookie players in the past two two seasons. Yeah. And as it looks like right now, Desmond Bain and potentially Xavier Tillman are on track to do that as well yeah. so i don't want to count that i say the third one and it's going to be for something spicy that i think we'll probably talk about in a later future core four that's dylan brooks making an all defensive team i mean i don't, I don't think that's that hot takeish or anything like that i mean he well did at least for his twitter it'd be hot takeish but i mean let's be real i mean he's in within the top 10 in deflections per game, top 20 in steals per game. He has a nice steal rate. He's defending the best perimeter player on his opposing team almost every night. I wouldn't throw it out of the realm of the possibilities. 
Granted, I, I want to steal one of your jokes real quick. When Jaron Jackson Jr. gets back, he's going to be taking Dylan Brooks's fouls. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. Well, they, there was more than enough to go around. They were first and second in the league in fouls per game last year. Like the, <laughs> they, uh, they uh, Cur- the Curry and Duran of hacking. They alone made the Grizzlies the worst fouling team in the NBA last year. But I was thinking of it more in the context of, and don't get me wrong, I do think Dylan Brooks can do that. There's a section of Grizz Twitter that just doesn't want to acknowledge anything good that Dylan Brooks does, and we got to live with that. But I believe he set that out as a goal for himself coming into this year was to make an all-defensive team, and he probably won't do that. But you see the dividends of the work that he's put into that. He made Devin Booker's life a living hell the other night. He's finding ways to make life difficult for opposing stars. But my thought on third option of someone else winning some type of award is I feel like the Grizzlies will inevitably, inevitably make some type of trade. And that doesn't necessarily mean Bradley Beal or Zach Levine this year or whatever else. But it's like you said, there will be in the next two years a new wave of stars who are dissatisfied with their situation and are looking for a new one. And the Grizzlies will have the assets to be in contention for those type of players. And if you bring in somebody like a Zach Levine or someone like a Bradley Beal, they are almost certainly going to be an all-star. Zach Levine has not been an all-star yet, has he? He is not. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, yeah. He, He's he is not. Yeah, he probably will this year. He's averaging 27 points a game. 20, I think 27, 5, and 5. This year. 5 and 5, and the Bulls yeah, are actually like kind of good. Yeah, so he's improved as a playmaker, and he'll get the award that comes with that. But if the Grizzlies are able to get somebody like that, they will obviously be able to have that type of award status. They'll be able to have that type of status. And I think that's more likely than as phenomenal as job ja may be. James Harden is the greatest scorer of his generation. He's generational in that way, and he still hasn't won an MVP. There are plenty of phenomenal well, he's, players. He's won MVP. Did he? What year? Um, let me look real quick on the on my monitor. Let's see. He didn't win in twenty. Yeah, he's definitely won an MVP. Uh, let's see. Russ won it in 2017. 20, 2017-18, So we won it the year after Russ. Okay. All right. So he yeah he averaged uh thirty four five and eight, and the Rockets won sixty five games. Okay. So yeah, there you go. But anyway, like he's only won one. Kobe only won one in his entire career. There are many stars that needed the right season, the right situation to break through and have that happen. And over the next four years, are the chances that Ja will do that? No. Chances of the odds are against him in that way. But I think we've learned at this point that he is literally physically built different. (laughs) And so, you know, who knows? Who knows what could be in his future over the next few years? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one player I do want to get to, I had said that the Grizzly success is tied to Taylor Jenkins and one other person. And I'm going to give that credit to Xavier Tillman. So, so far, um, since he's He's been phenomenal. What was that? He's phenomenal. Yeah, I I don't really have more words. Xavier Tillman, right now, uh, he is second in uh, point on-off differential. So when he's on the floor, the Grizzlies are outscoring opponents by 10.8 points. Ironically, that's behind uh, Desmond Bain at 16. So that's enough evidence for the start Desmond Bain, you cowards train. But, I mean, he's just such a high IQ big man for, granted, 
the big man position is probably one of the hardest to pick up on in the NBA. We've seen so many raw big men come in and out of the league, and it's just because they can't stick with the whole rim protection, defending in space. The, the added, there's so much more added responsibility of the center position. I think Xavier Tillman's picking up on that at a very, very young age. I mean, he sets good screens. He knows when to make good handoffs. He gets the ball back to his guards to reinitiate the offense. He makes smart reads. He doesn't force shots. But I think the thing that sticks out, and it's really going to make the Grizzlies dangerous and dynamic when they really commit to that front court trio of Tillman, Jack, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark, is his switchability. I mean, three different instances. I mean, we saw him force Tobias Harris out of bounds on the baseline in a very crucial crunch time moment game. We saw him stand tall and not give in to Chris Paul's bag of tricks where he he's made people look like fools with nutmegs and crossovers. Like it, it can get a pretty embarrassing and he stood his ground, came away with a knockaway in yesterday's game and forced him into pretty tough shots. And granted Deandre Ayton did post up one of his best numbers all season, but for the most part, Xavier Tillman do, did do a good job every now and then stonewalling him and forcing him into tough fadeaway jumpers or falling back hook shots. So, yeah. And you, you had mentioned too earlier is he's second in the league in uh, opponent field goal percentage at the rim. And when you look at that company that's with him and, you know, his Valanciunas as well, Tillman's the shortest player in that group by like three inches. So just his defensive instincts and uh, his high IQ in the offensive end as well. It, it's really looking like the Grizzlies found another steal where everyone's like, crap, how did this guy fall this low? So it, it's, it's dumb because there's not a soul who's paying any attention that didn't think he was going to be good. And you and I have been beating this drum for years. And Zachary Kleiman has become the embodiment of this idea. Guys who are good at everything don't fail. Guys who are not bad at anything as far as an NBA skill set is concerned do not fail in the NBA. So when you have someone like Xavier Tillman, who may be a little bit undersized, he's six foot eight, he's built like a truck. You cannot move it. If there's anybody in the NBA that I want to know what their deadlift and squat max is, it's Xavier Tillman. Because what makes him such an effective defender in space is one, his lateral quickness. But you saw this with Tobias Harris. If you get Tillman on your hip, he cannot be moved. It's like crazy to watch. Uh, Chris Paul is trying to make him dance at these bag of tricks, and finally he starts to make the move, and Tillman just does not move an inch. And Chris Paul is a built little guy. Like, he's six foot, but he's always been stocky, and he just does not move from the spot. He's got insane core strength that allows him to guide the opposing ball handler to where he wants to wants them to go, and that's what happened with Tobias Harris at the end of the Sixers game and regular that Harris got Tillman on his hip, but it did not matter. He wasn't going to be going to the basket with Tillman on his hip, and he ended up on the baseline and stepping out of bounds. So you have somebody who's a great passer for his position, who's a phenomenal screener. You saw 
uh, Mikhail Bridges, 6'8 wing, who is slowly growing into one of the best two-way players in the NBA, a phenomenal defender who can guard four positions. He's guarding John Moran to that final possession. And after the Tyus Jones misdirection, Tillman comes up to set the ball screen for Ja. Mikhail dies on that screen. He is totally out of the play. It's just John and Aiton the rest of the way, and Ja is able to make the play. Go and watch how Tillman screens during games, and he is just a slab of concrete. People just die on it over and over again. But, yeah, when I saw Tillman play back in preseason and he came into that first game, he looked a little bit out of it, like the game was too fast for him. And I by no means thought, like, oh, he's not going to be any good. But I thought, oh, it's probably going to take him a while to acclimate. He may not be that impactful in year one. He may not even play that much in year one. And over the last four games, he has a legitimate case to be the best backup center in franchise history, which, granted, may not be saying that much. But that's how impactful he's been on both sides of the Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, for one, that's uh, disrespectful to uh, Costa Kufus, and uh, Justin Lewis may find that offensive to Gorgie Dang, but but no, yeah. Yeah, Tillman killed Jang. You see Jang playing (laughs) outside when Valanciunas is not there? Uh, Different different side note, whenever Jang's played, he's done a good job of, like, maintaining trade value. I'll give him that. Good job. (laughs) There you go, Jang. But, but for real, no, uh, Xavier Tillman, uh, th- obviously this is something I definitely want to touch on in a later piece, but I think Xavier Tillman, more so than Brandon Clark, or maybe even on par with Brandon Clark, they're the pathway to what, what however you want to decide to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. going forward. If you want to stick him at the four, you can just slide Xavier Tillman at the five. And, you know, granted, you're big. Why is he the five? He's shorter than Jaron Jackson Jr. Well, the Grizzlies did the same thing technically with Pau Gasol and the Rins and Wright back in the early 2000s, and it worked. And I, I see, like, a very similar pairing there. But also, if you want to go a little more mo- – and then also with that, you have Brandon Clark killing people off the bench looking like TikTok Sean Marion. And, and then if you want to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five – you can start Brandon Clark with him. And I, I just think that the Grizzlies are very, very well set up. And they're going to have some fascinating questions to answer in the future, but also in the present because Xavier Tillman's too good not to play. So it, it's just, especially with this 10-man rotation, and it's looking like the Grizzlies have 14 legitimate rotation players. I mean, when John Conchar and Gorgie Dang played, they contributed so whenever the Grizzlies get a fully healthy roster back, and granted, I don't think there there will be because whenever an injury will, comes up, they will be cautious with it, as we've seen, not even just with Jackson and Winslow, but with Tilly and Porter and uh, Xavier Tillman. They're going to be cautious, but also, too, we're, we're playing basketball in a pandemic here. Like, the, stuff's going to come up. Like, we're seeing with Jonas Valanciunas that we've seen with D'Anthony Milton. But very fast, any questions, and – Xavier Tillman, he's just another remarkable find for this new regime and suddenly changing the narrative on the Grizzlies being bad at drafts. 
For sure. Uh, I don't think there's any more question to be had about that. And I think going forward, it's almost become a meme at this point in social media circles. So the Grizzlies picked this guy in the second round. Oh, they're going to pick this guy, hopefully in the latter part of the first round in the 2021 draft. We obviously missed on him because the Grizzlies picked him and we know he's going to be good. That's the narrative that's around this franchise right now. And it's a good one to have. Absolutely. And just just to uh, wrap up here, as this is going live, the Grizzlies will be playing the Portland Trailblazers tonight at 9 p.m. Central Time. So that's a late one for the Central Time Zone crowd. And especially for Joe Molinax, who's out on the East Coast. He's having to start watching this game at 10 o'clock. So uh, TiVo and recording is probably going to be his best friend there. But, uh, Nate, this is a very tricky uh, game to assess because on one end, for Grizzlies, it's not tough to assess because we've you know, seeing a Grizzlies team without Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow and Jonas Valanciunas already. But Portland's going to be missing Yusuf Nurkic and C.J. McCollum, who are out with long-term injuries as well. So, Nate, what is one thing you're going to be watching for in this game? Um, I just want to see how well the Grizzlies can trap Damian Lillard. And I think you're going to see Xavier Tillman play out far from the paint a good amount of the time. That was the most success they had against Portland was in their first bubble game that they played last year is when they started using Jaron Jackson to single-handedly wreck Portland's pick and rolls, have him so far out from the basket. And Lillard's a good playmaker, but he was struggling to find players in space and they were struggling to knock down the open shots off the passes that he was making. So I want to see what Xavier Tillman can really do defensively. I think that's something that's really going to show up against Portland. I think you're going to see his mobility, his lateral quickness. I think you're going to see all aspects of his toolkit um, come to play against Portland. Uh, For Portland themselves, um, I think they're cursed. And I don't mean that necessarily in the sense they keep getting injured. Um, I think it's their hopes that get cursed. And what I mean by that is each year they miss some significant piece for a long period of time. So they missed Nurkic for, what was it, five months last year going into the bubble. And now they're missing Nurkic for a month, and they'll probably miss C.J. McCollum for a little more than a month. And they're going to end up struggling. They're going to end up losing games. They're probably going to end up at the back half of the playoff race again for this year, just like they were last year. You know what's the worst part of it all, Parker? What's that? They're going to deceive themselves into believing that they're really a contender, but every year the injuries just derail them a little bit and keeps them from achieving their true potential. And they're going to keep telling themselves that year after year after year, and they're going to keep falling short. And that's the tragedy of the Portland Trailblazers. really hate to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, A little uh, before I get into something serious about looking forward to this game, I will start by saying two narratives to watch for is how – uh, Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark pick apart uh, starting center for the Portland Trailblazers, Enos Cantor, especially oh my Lord. in the pick and roll where Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark have shown great poise, both as rollers and as uh, dribble handoff facilitators. But also, too, they, the Grizzlies got to also keep it, uh, Rodney Hood in check, who's starting at the two guard. He is all Grizz Facebook, so a, a big game from him is really going to start a fire over there. But I do. I am very interested to see the uh, battle off the bench for the Memphis between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers. For one, the Grizzlies bench has been stellar. I, I read off the uh, point differential with Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and also 
at, let me add in there too, just for everyone's pleasure. Uh, D'Anthony Melton is also a, uh, the Grizzlies outscore teens by 9.9 points with D'Anthony Melton on the floor and 8.6 points with Grayson Allen on the floor. So can that Grizzlies bench sustain their momentum and stop a Portland Trailblazers team who's kind of depleted a little bit when it comes to uh, perimeter defense off the bench? I mean, they have Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, and that's someone who the Grizzlies are going to have to check because Carmelo Anthony is a sixth man. That's a we'd be lying to ourselves if we said that's not a good NBA player. But also, too, I mean, they have Harry Giles, who's not necessarily the most prolific backup big man. Gary Trent's pretty good. Anthony Simons isn't a good defender at all. So, can the Grizzlies win that battle on the bench well enough to where you could potentially offset? a big shooting night from Damian Lillard. And just for context, um, the Spurs beat the Portland Trailblazers by 21 points, even though Damian Lillard put up 35. So They'll be fine. Um, I think even if they were to somehow lose, I think it'll be a close game. It would would be great for the Grizzlies to sweep both of these games in Portland, which it's hard to beat any team on back-to-back nights in the NBA or back-to-back games in the NBA, but I think they're very capable of that. And I think even in their shorthanded form, they're better than this Trailblazers team. So we'll see if that comes to pass or not. Um, You talked about Portland's defense, and this is the last thing that I'll say about it. The only plus defender on the roster outside of juice of Nurkic is Robert Covington, who has not been good this year for Portland. And I said this back at the time, and it's making me irrationally angry because it has nothing to do with my team or anything like that. But it still makes me irrationally angry that Portland is so fooled into believing that they're a contender. They sent out two first-round picks for Robert Covington. That blows my mind. It blew my mind back at the time, and I still can't believe that they did that, especially now considering the fact that he is underachieved for them so far this year if you want to come become even more irate about it the portland trailblazers they traded away trevor reason two first round picks for robert covington who then used trevor ariza and a f- either one or two first round picks for christian wood so they could have just <laughs> done that for christian wood and been immensely better and probably would have been in that same crowd as the LA teams and Denver, as far as the top of the West. So let, let's, uh, you know, let's put it that they, they, they got to live with it. And that's uh, their burden to bear for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nate, uh, that's about all we have for the show today. Just let the people know where they can find you and your work. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan Chester 24. You can find all my Grizzlies related content, including my new newest column on grizzlybearblues.com. Mm-hmm. And remember, follow him. Don't cancel him. Don't cancel me, please. Don't. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read all my work at grizzlybearblues.com, where I too have a uh, piece coming up tomorrow with Joe Molinax introducing a new segment called The Grizzlies Advocate. So just tune in and read what that's all about because if I got into it, it would become a become a whole nother podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to the, your podcast, where you can find every episode of the Core 4, GBB Live, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. And make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word for it. And with that, Nate, have the honors. 
That's all, folks.